You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast. Where you'll get proven strategies to start and grow your online business from in the trenches digital entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurignited.com. Launch your online business. Live your dreams. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip all the hype, skip all the BS, and just give you guys real actionable tips and strategies from real entrepreneurs, digital entrepreneurs, to help you grow your business and income on the internet. This is your host, Derek Gale, and uh, today we're going to be diving deep into uh, you know setting up e-commerce shops and creating e-commerce business online. Uh, and you know, I know this is a business model a lot of my listeners ask me about, a lot of my students are asking me about, and uh, so today... Uh, um, we've got a special guest to share their vast wisdom and experience on this exact topic. Uh, he's the founder of BumblebeeLinens.com, an e-commerce store uh, that specializes in selling linens and handkerchiefs, as well as the founder of MyWifeQuitHerJob.com, which is a brand I absolutely love, uh, where he shares his successful e-commerce strategies with uh, budding digital entrepreneurs through his blogs, trainings, podcasts. And, uh, and if that's not enough, he's also the founder of the Sellers Summit, which uh, can be described as the ultimate ultimate e-commerce learning conference. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Stephen Chu to the show. Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Derek. Happy to be here. Awesome. Now, before we get started, Steve, can you just expand on my introduction and just give me your journey uh, as an entrepreneur? How did you get started online? And you know what, what was the path that brought you to this, uh, this interview here today? Yeah. I mean, it all started with our e-commerce store. My wife and I, we got married and uh, she knew that she was going to cry at our wedding. <laughs> and uh, we ended up looking all over the place for a handkerchief because we paid a lot of money for photography. She didn't want to be seen like using these nasty tissues. Looked everywhere for handkerchiefs, could not find any except for this factory in China. We ended up buying a couple of hundred of these handkerchiefs because that was the minimum order. We used maybe a handful of them and then we sold the rest on eBay and then they sold like hotcakes. And so that was the end of that. But then later on, when we became pregnant with our first child, she wanted to quit her job. And we live in the Silicon Valley, which is a very expensive area. You pretty much need two incomes in order to get a house in a good school district. And so we got back in touch with that vendor, started importing these handkerchiefs, and we threw up our own website. And uh, it started going really well because we kind of already validated the idea on eBay. Mm -hmm. And within a year, we had already supplanted my wife's six-figure salary. Just wow. selling handkerchiefs. Selling handkerchiefs. Yes. What? Very manly product. Well, yes. yeah. <laughs> My first choice, naturally. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> but hey, I, you can't argue with results, which is fantastic, right? And so, so now today, that's now segued into um, to your other website, which is mywifequitterjob.com. And so, so what's that all about then? Yeah. So what's funny about that is, uh, you know, once my wife was able to quit and stay at home with our kids, a bunch of my friends started asking me, you know, how, how we did it. And so I just decided to document it on a website. And that's how mywifequitterjob.com was born. Basically like an online diary of my e-commerce adventures, essentially. Wow. Awesome. So now let's, let's, uh, 
let's dig in here. And uh, I'm going to, what I want to do is I want to approach this interview um, from just the average person that's like, hey, you know, I've heard e-commerce is a thing. You know, there's a good opportunity here. I don't have any ideas. Um, and, you know, I have questions. And so these are, these are the questions because I get them. I know you, 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 you get them all the time from people that are looking this as an opportunity. Um, but these are the questions that are, that first come up. So can we start with that? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so uh, so right now, well, you sell you sell linens, you sell handkerchiefs. You found <clears throat> this niche. So the big question for everyone that's getting started is that in today's environment, you know, with the rise of Amazon and more and more people selling uh, physical goods online and setting up e-commerce stores, uh, what do you look for? How do you find a good niche? Yeah, you know what's really nice about today, as opposed to when we started. There's a lot of tools and there's a lot of data out there, right? So, for example, if you wanted to look at all the completed sales on eBay, there's this tool called TerraPeak that basically scrapes all of the completed listings so you know the exact sales of a particular item on eBay. Likewise for Amazon. You know, Amazon is pretty transparent also in terms of how much money each seller is making. Uh, you can use a tool like Jungle Scout to get an idea of how much everyone is making selling these goods on both of these platforms. And between the both of them, you can just go in and just start brainstorming stuff that you might want to sell to see whether it's competitive or whether it's saturated and, and whatnot. And so, yeah. So, okay, let's, let's talk about competition and saturation because, you know, I, I've been watching lots of people go down this road as of late. You know, I mean, over the last, you know, you've seen it, obviously, over the last few years, there's been a lot of hype around, you know, setting up Amazon stores and, and just, right. you know, tapping into it. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. They're like, yeah, it, it sounded awesome. So I sourced iPhone cases. And started selling iPhone cases and, yeah. and, and it just falls apart, right? So, you know, I mean, you can obviously see what demand is. And yeah, is there a lot of demand for iPhone cases? Sure, there are. But there's, there's a bucket of competition out there, right? So, you know, what are you looking for specifically when you're – I mean, demand is just one piece of the puzzle. That's how, correct. What's the other piece? Yeah, you know, a lot of people ask me this question and in my eyes – even if something is pretty competitive, as long as you have a pretty good, unique value proposition, mm -hmm. you can probably go through and still stand out amongst the crowd. But let's say your value prop isn't as strong. Um, let's, take, let's take eBay, for example. Let's say you want to start a business selling on eBay. For Terapeak, there's this number that they provide called the sell-through rate, which is the percentage chance that an auction will actually complete if you list a particular item on there. And you can use that number to judge how many people are selling that item to determine how saturated that, that environment is. But in general, I think the most important thing is to, to not just sell a Me Too product online or something that everyone else is selling. Make sure you have some sort of value add. And as long as you can present that value add to your market, you should do okay, even if it's a competitive environment. Well, let's talk about handkerchiefs then, yeah. right? Because yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a handkerchief, right? Like, I mean, it's not exactly the most complex, you know, feature-laden product. That's correct. So, so how did you come up with the U What is your USP? Yeah, so the way we did with our handkerchiefs is, one, we decided to become the largest selection of handkerchiefs. So we carry the largest selection. Second of all, a lot of people, they just sell handkerchiefs, right? But they don't frame the product. And so what we decided to do is we decided to target weddings specifically. We target funerals and that sort of thing. And we do custom embroidery. 
And a lot of people don't want to be doing this. And because we do all this stuff in-house, so we have these industrial strength embroidery machines in-house, and we can turn these things out on a dime because everyone waits until the last minute. So our key value propositions are the largest selection, and we will bend over backwards to make sure your stuff gets delivered on time because we do everything in-house. So, okay, so that and so that's really interesting. So you, do you have your own, effectively, a factory now where you're doing this? It's a warehouse, and I guess you could call it a factory where we're personalizing everything. Right. So now, that being said, you're not, are you buying the handkerchiefs in bulk and then embroidering them in your factory and then shipping them? Is that how it works, or do you actually cut That's the correct. Yeah, okay. Well, there's, there's, different, there's different ways. I mean, we have some of our own designs now, mm-hmm. and so stuff is coming from all over the place. Some of it's pre-made. Uh, some of it's our own designs, and some of them are actually we buy wholesale from other people. So, right. so it's a variety, yeah. Right, okay. So now when you were first getting started, obviously you didn't have all that though, right? That's correct. When we first got started, actually there were not that many people selling handkerchiefs, period. And so just the fact that we were carrying a bunch of them, a, you know, a large variety of them in the first place really made us stand out. Mm, okay. And so now, how many years ago was that that you started? That was 2007. 2007. Okay. And so what does the market look like today in that niche? And has it changed for you? Have you been able to hold your dominant position? Yeah. You know, a lot of people had popped up, especially once I started blogging about it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of competitors started popping up. In fact, there was like hummingbird linens and, and a whole bunch of other linen places. But you know, once once you have a website out there and you have a brand and you start getting entrenched in the search engines and that sort of thing, it becomes a lot easier to kind of defend your position. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, okay, so now let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning, right? And okay. let's pretend we're, we've got an idea, okay? So we've used the TerraPeaks, we've used the, the tools that you've mentioned there. Uh, we've come up with what we think looks like a, a, a good potential niche, right? Uh-huh. Um, how do you test that without investing hordes of money in inventory and having to deal with, you know, brokerages and all, all that stuff that comes along with buying bigger Yeah, absolutely. Containers. Yeah. So let's assume that you can get a small quantity of your product, right? Whether it's just sampling quantities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the easiest way is to just go ahead and try to sell it. So what I advise that people do is if they want to be extra careful, they'll they'll sell this stuff on eBay first just to make sure that they can unload it. Like I'm not a huge fan of eBay as a, as a major platform because it's a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But if you sell it on eBay first just to make sure that you can unload the item in the event that things go wrong, then that'll make you feel better. And then you want to sell it on Amazon because there's a, just a huge built-in marketplace on there. And if you can get traction on Amazon and you know that you can unload this stuff on eBay in case the stuff does not move, then that should make you feel comfortable enough to actually make a bulk order. Okay. So effectively, eBay is the testing platform by minimum, and and then Amazon's ultimate, ultimately your holy grail. Well, not the, your own website should be your holy grail. Like some people just skip the eBay part altogether, right? Mm-hmm. Because Amazon's such a large marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and so let's talk about that then, because we've got all these different platforms, and this is one of the questions that's that's arising all the time now. As people look at this e-commerce model, they think, "Do I need a my own website? Why can't I just plug into Amazon, use fulfilled by Amazon, and just run it all through there? Why do you need a website?" Well, you can, but that's putting all of your eggs in one basket, mm-hmm. right? And Amazon has been changing the rules a lot, which I've heard, I'm sure your audience has been hearing about. They, they changed the way incentivized reviews work. They've increased the prices of FBA. 
Essentially, if you are just selling on a single marketplace that is not controlled by yourself, you are in very great danger in case Amazon decides to change the rules or even decides to ban you. So just to give you an example, let's say you have one bad batch of product that you accidentally ship to Amazon. And then as a result, the customers get this bad product and you get a string of negative feedback that could lead to your listing getting suspended. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you got all this product inventory over at FBA and your listing is suspended and you got to beg Amazon to unsuspend you. And this could take a period of weeks or even months. And meanwhile, you're just losing money. Whereas if you have your own property, you can collect your own email addresses, build your own customer base. Doing B2B stuff is a lot easier when you have your own brand as well. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of reasons why you need to get off Amazon. Right. Right. And so as far as, you know, brand goes and USP goes, I mean, you've created a brand with what you're doing, right? So you are, you are the, uh, you said hummingbird, but it's not hummingbird. <laughs> Bumblebee. <laughs> yeah, yes. well, yeah, that was our competitor that went out of business. I just remember that one for some reason. Uh, that's terrible. I mean, that's so close. Okay. So <laughs> Bumblebee linens. Okay. So the, yeah. uh, and so that is, that is your brand. And so, are you seeing people successfully going into e-commerce and building scalable stuff under kind of a generic brand or are the people that are scaling successfully sticking to a product category and focusing on one brand? Well, I mean, I think you should just start out narrow. I'm not sure if that's what you're asking, but you don't start out with like a full-blown store that just sells a variety of items, right? Yeah. Focus in on one product type that you can just do very well, and then you gradually branch out. Yeah. And you, you were asking about the, the, I guess, the name of your brand? Yeah. And, and I, again, I'm, I'm, when I go to Amazon now, you start dr- drilling into these really specific product categories. You're seeing kind of all these random brands you haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you buy it. You never hear from that company again uh, because you bought off Amazon. And, you know, there's no additional marketing material in the product when you receive it. There's no incentivization to try and capture my lead. And I scratch my head going, you know, am I missing something with what I'm seeing in some of these commerce businesses? I mean, that's the problem, right? Amazon, people who shop on Amazon think that they're buying from Amazon and not from your brand because Amazon does not allow you to contact the customer. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, you can put some sort of insert in the package you know, once a customer receives it and have them register to get their email. But Amazon polices everything. You cannot have an ounce of marketing in any of the emails that go out to their customers. And they act as a go-between as well. And so you literally, they're purposely trying to limit your contact with the customer. And so in your e-commerce business, I assume you're selling on Amazon right now. We are, yes. How... Obviously, it's a good source of, of customers. Um, does it make up a larger source of your customers? Is it an important part of your business? And, and do those customers have a different lifetime value? Yeah. So for our store, our store represents the bulk of our revenues. Okay. And then Amazon is a small percentage of it, but it's growing every single year. Yeah. I treat Amazon as just another channel for cash flow. Um, it's really hard to get those people over to your site because th- here's the way I think about it. Some people just go straight to Amazon and they're just like very religious Amazon shoppers, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's other guys who like to go on Google. There's other guys who like to shop on the small boutiques. It's just another marketplace to kind of reach out and branch out your, your business. 
Right. Exactly. And so, you know, for everybody that's listening, I I really like how Steve's positioning this because my, uh, you know, Steve, my issue with a lot of these Amazon businesses I'm watching people start is the pure and simple fact that they're entirely reliant, as you said, on that single platform and at the mercy of Amazon's you know, policy changes um, that can shut off their business overnight. And so let's go back to your website then, because I think this is, mm-hmm. a, this is the part where I see a lot of the new generation of e-commerce people uh, failing because, you know, us old school guys have been around for a while. We were just program, create websites, market those websites, find channels for customers. Um, but the new guys are saying, why do we even need websites? And so you create a website, uh, first of all, let me ask you, do you have any platform of choice? Is there, are you a Shopify guy or? A- <laughs> well, I started a long time ago and there wasn't Shopify <laughs> back then. So what ended up happening is I started with, uh, pretty much the most popular open source platform at the time, which was OS commerce. And since I'm a tech guy, I have heavily modified it over the years. So that's almost like a custom platform at this point. But today I obviously don't recommend that if you're in tech averse, go with something like a Shopify or big commerce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now you get your website set up. You've got these channels, the Ebay's, the Amazon's, that's, that's great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now the, the big wall most people run into is, okay, I'm, I'm selling handkerchiefs or I'm selling widgets. Where right. do I get traffic? Because I mean, if yes. you go to, if you look at AdWords, right? To go out there and pay, you know, a buck a click, you know, can you make money selling a handkerchief at a buck a click? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing that I would do for, for most people is to start out with Google shopping. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with it, but if you do a search on Google, there's usually like a picture and then a price. And what's nice about shopping is that they actually see the picture of the product and then they see the price and then they see your store name. And so that if they actually click on that link, there's a strong purchase intent. So those ads tend to convert pretty well Mm -hmm. as opposed to just buying keywords for regular search. Right. Okay. And so here's the thing. A lot of people are a little hesitant to start their own websites because it is a lot more complicated, right? Mm -hmm. On Amazon, you just have to worry about one thing. You get the product. You put it on Amazon, and then Amazon's marketplace is so large that you'll get sales. With your own store, you have to have a way to bring people back as well, in in addition to getting them to your site. And all these links have to be in place in order to make sales. So in your example of just buying AdWords and paying a dollar per click, you know, the average conversion rate for a store online is on the order of like 2 or 3%. Which basically means that you're dry, you're paying money to drive traffic to your site, and 97% of these people are not going to be buying, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to have all these other things in place. You got to have like an email sequence. Try to get their email so you can bring them back on a consistent basis until they are ready to buy. You also need to do retargeting, and you know for your listeners, these are ads that you know once you land on the site, you can. You can uh, buy specific ads specifically targeting the people who already know your brand, who've already been to your website. And so it's just this process of having all these pieces together, driving traffic to your site, and bringing them back on a consistent basis, and then making consistent sales that way. So, uh, all right. So uh, you just shared a lot of stuff there, and now I want to take a quick step back. Because you were talking about lead capture. And and this this is a so you know trying to capture email addresses when they come to the website and. when you're in the, say, the digital market or the information marketing space and certain businesses just lend themselves to having opt-in offers, right? Right. But what do you offer for an, you know, an opt-in offer on a handkerchief site or something generic like that? 
I mean, I can tell you what we do, and then we can t- I can tell you what other people do as well. So right now, we are offering a free crafts ebook so that you can do a lot of DIY stuff with your wedding, mm-hmm. and, which uses our products. So it's, you know, they'll get this book and they'll go, oh, cool, I can make this thing for my wedding. And oh, wow, I can get the materials from Bumblebee Linens. So that's something that we give out for free. Got it. Other people like to give out coupons, you know, for free shipping or you know, first-time customer sort of discounts. There's a variety of ways to get the email address early. Right, right. So the um, so now let, let's shift gears and let's talk about social then because we've talked about search. I mean, you know, search is great because there's, their intent is they're looking for something, right? Uh-huh, so, yeah. Social is a little bit of a different beast because right. they're not necessarily searching. Now, that being said, I'm seeing a lot of people in the e-commerce space, physical goods, having a lot of success on on Facebook, on the different social media platforms. Where do you position yourself on that? What's working for you these days? Yeah, you know, when you're on like a Facebook, for example, the ads that point directly to a product tend not to do that well because people are there just to like see what what their friends are up to and that sort of thing. They're not ready to buy. And so what's worked for us is we'll send a Facebook person over to a piece of content and then retarget them at that point with offers once they're kind of familiar with our brand. And you know, during that first sequence where we're sending them to content, we're trying to grab their email address. We're trying to put out a piece of content that they'll remember our store with. Mm-hmm. And then we consistently bring them back with emails and retargeting so that when they're ready to buy, and it might not be for a while, right? Someone who just recently got engaged might not be buying their stuff for like another three months. So we just make sure that we stick around for three months until they're ready to actually make a purchase. And then when they're ready to make a purchase, they'll think of us. Right, right. You know, and it's interesting. I think with the more, let's call it general products that are hard to target, uh, you're right. I, I haven't seen people being able to buy and place direct product ads. The people, in, in sort of side note here, that I've been seeing that have actually been able to sell products profitably through social advertising is when they get into really bizarre you know, niches, right? You know, so, um, you know, raving fans of Donald Duck and they are selling, you know, a vintage <laughs> Donald Duck paraphernalia stuff, right? Those are yeah. the, because you can laser target, but beyond that, it's, a, you know, what you just said is what I'm seeing, I think, across a lot of the general product stuff. Um, which yeah, is- the people that are doing well with Facebook ads, like, for example, they're selling t-shirts and let's say like, um, like the Patriots, for example, they're doing really well in football right now. And they'll sell like t-shirts that specifically target Patriots, mm-hmm. like the New England Patriots. And that tends to work okay. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, okay. So now with the retargeting, let's, let's dig into that a little bit because that's, you know, I think something that not enough people are doing and it's very, very powerful. Uh, when you're retargeting, if you don't mind, I'll ask some specifics here. Sure. Um, so y- you've, you've pushed a piece of content out on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Somebody's clicked to, to consume that content, and now they're in a custom audience you can retarget. So how long are you retargeting for, and what kind of frequency are you following up with? Yeah, so our pixel lasts for 30 days. Is that, yeah. is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is what we actually do. So we do a combination of regular retargeting and then dynamic ads retargeting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Is your audience familiar with the distinction? Um, some will be, some won't be. So I would, I would explain. Okay, so dynamic ads is when you upload like a product list over to Facebook. And based on whatever product a person looks at, 
they'll actually get an ad with whatever product they looked at. Mm -hmm. And so it's very powerful. And so for us, we were target both ways. So if someone actually looked at a product, they will see an ad on Facebook with a picture of the product that they looked at. If they didn't see a product, they will they will see an ad, whether it be a video ad or just um, you know a, a regular static image ad, which will take them to a page that really just shows off our unique value proposition, and then at the end has links to the various product categories. Right. Got it. Got it. Um, all right. So I'm going to shift again because something I noticed on your website that I wanted to dig into um, okay. was the the publicity that you've gotten. Yes. Uh, um, because you look like you've been very successful in being featured in different sort of magazines and you've gotten some really good uh, exposure that way. Uh, you want to fill us in on on how that happened? and, and uh, yeah. yeah. You know what's funny about a lot of those mentions is like, for example, in the magazine mentions, those are great for social proof. Yeah. They don't actually bring in that many sales or if they do, it'll spike like when the issue comes out, but then it'll just slowly trickle out and die. Yeah. Um, so really, it's it's for social proof reasons, and the way you get those is you find out what the what the um, publication calendars are like for some of these popular magazines, and then you just write a quick and dirty pitch. Like you find out who the editors are, and you just pitch your products. And over the holidays, you know, if you're lucky, uh, they'll choose one of your products. So it's kind of like a volume game. You send out a lot of pitches. Most of them aren't going to get accepted, but the ones that do, you know, it's great. You get published. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. My experience has been that there's not a big bump in sales, um, but it's it's the long-term value of being able to use that in your in your marketing to build mm -hmm. credibility. I mean, when I went to your website, my, I was drawn to that. I went, wow, look, they were in you know Bridal Magazine and stuff like that, which I thought was very, very cool. So... Okay, so now we're gonna we're gonna shift gears again, and and I want to bring it back now to the actual logistics of running a physical product business. Okay, because that's that's one that I see um, as as a roadblock for a lot of people getting started, right? Whether it be mm -hmm. fulfillment, uh, warehousing, cash flow management. Um, did you have experience with this stuff before you started? No, you not at all. Not at all. Uh, I don't know where you want me to start with that question, but just just the logistics wise, mm -hmm. what's really nice about Amazon is they will handle your fulfillment as well as your returns. Yes. And so that just makes it a whole lot easier. And even when you have your own website, you can also fulfill using Amazon's warehouse as well. Uh, the only downside is it comes in an Amazon branded box. And if you don't like that, then you'll have to get your own third-party fulfillment house unless you want to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where you want to go with this. I mean, we can talk. Well, about I, I guess let's 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 take it back to the the guys just getting started, right? Okay. So I I just I just ordered uh, my first order of the product I'm going to be selling. I've got my website up. Uh, you know, we're going to start moving some volume here. Where do I start? Yeah, you know, I would I would just start with Amazon. Like I I, I strongly believe that you should validate on Amazon to begin with, because there's a marketplace right there. And once you get some traction on Amazon, you start your own site. And so in theory, if you already have your own site, if you're, if you're kind of following my methods, you probably have stuff in Amazon FBA. Mm -hmm. And so the next logical step is to just simply fulfill your goods from Amazon FBA. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to carry any inventory. Okay. So do you see the future of the old school fulfillment houses just sort of petering out? You know, I, I was thinking that was going to happen. And then Amazon eliminated the non-branded box option. 
And so, you know, if you're running your own site, you don't want your goods coming in in an Amazon branded box because then guess what? They'll see this box and they'll go, oh, I can get this on Amazon. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll start shopping on Amazon. Ah, okay, okay. I didn't realize that in the past you'd been able to have a non-branded box. You could pay a dollar, I believe, and get a non-branded box. And when you had a non-branded box, would they allow you to put inserts in it, or was it? No, you can't. Still you can't put inserts. Yeah, you still in can't it. put anything into it. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. See, I mean that, and from my perspective, you know, I mean, tapping into Amazon, you got to play by their rules. But everything outside of Amazon that I'm doing business on, you're missing out on so much if you can't, if you can't put marketing material into the products that you're shipping out. Yeah, I mean, you have very little control. And so, yeah, in the long run, you know, you're probably going to want to do a combination. Right, right. Uh, the reason we carry all of our own inventory is um, we use Amazon FBA as well, but we do a lot of the personalized stuff. Yeah. And it's a pain in the butt, but it's a value add that Amazon can't readily take away from us that easily. Right. Um, because we can turn stuff on a dime, because we're like our own factory almost per se, it's a little extra work, but that is like our value proposition and that's how we stand out. Right, right. Excellent. Um, okay, so now we're, we're just about out of time. So I got, I got a, a, a kind of a general question for you. Um, you've, you've been an entrepreneur for a while now and uh, you, know, you started, like you said, back in 2007. You've had great success with this. Um, now, looking back to when you first got started, knowing what you now know today, what are some of the things you would have done differently? I would have started building my email list for e-commerce a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, we're, we're both internet marketers uh, with, our other, with our digital products, right? Yeah. And it's just very obvious to collect emails and run them down the sequence and that sort of thing. For some reason, when it comes to physical products, it wasn't that obvious to me. I, and I, I don't know. Remember that first question that you asked me, like, how do you put together a compelling lead magnet for a physical product store outside of giving away physical products? And that was just one roadblock that, that you know, prevented me from taking action on that. And I didn't want to give out coupons. I'm actually not a big coupon fan. And it wasn't until I kind of racked my brain a little bit to figure out what to give to the customers. And that's when it all started clicking and, and we started gathering emails. And email is actually a significant portion of our business today. Really? So, and, and that's interesting because I would, have, I would have assumed, and obviously wrongly, that a handkerchief was kind of a, how, I mean, how, many, how often do you have repeat orders? But what you're saying is it plays a role. Well, see, here's the thing. A lot of our customers are actually event and wedding planners. Ah, there it is. And so whenever we get a large order, and this is the low-hanging fruit, whenever we get a really large order, we actually reach out to that person and say, hey, are you a planner? Mm -hmm. If you are, here's a discount code. You know, we'll, we'll make sure your stuff always gets on time. We'll, we'll, we'll have uh, special handling for it. And those guys come back. Right, right. Um, okay, anything else that you wish you'd done sooner or differently? Anything else? Um... Besides starting earlier, because, <laughs> man, uh, I started late. I mean, you started early, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'd be all powerful if I had just started like five years <laughs> earlier, you know? Well, it's never, it's never too late to get started. Um, and, you know, it's interesting what you said about the email there, too, because I've always come from the internet marketing side, right? Um, 
you know, we were doing email marketing back in the 90s. And I've always been baffled, you know, because I've watched the e-commerce world grow. I mean, we used to have one of the very first courses on how to sell on eBay. We did a lot of eBay stuff back when, you know, the early days of eBay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was always fascinated watching the e-commerce guys. They would never build a list. They were always just working on chasing the next new customer. Um yeah, it's it's fun. I think maybe the reason for that is because with digital products, you kind of need an audience mm-hmm. and they're buying it for you, right? And so you kind of need that list to establish your credibility and that sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas with physical products, you don't need any of that in theory. You can just sell it because the product stands on its own. True. Yeah. So maybe that's why. I don't know. So I, I want to go back to one thing you just said there too that uh, that intrigued me and that says you're not a fan of coupons. Why is that? Yeah, you know, if you start giving out, do you guys have Bed Bath and Beyond over in Canada? Ah, uh, yes, we do. Okay, so those you probably have gotten those twenty percent coupons. Oh yeah, yeah, all the time, right? So I will not shop at Bed Bath and Beyond now without one of those coupons. Yeah, I, I just won't, and so I don't want that to happen with our store as well. People will start like discounting the the coupon, so to speak. Yes. And so you get those out too often and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you're, that's tra- why I'm not a fan. you're training your audience to never ever exactly. buy at a at at the proper price. And uh you know, it's funny. I mean, our biggest oldest department store here in in uh, Canada is called the Hudson Bay Company. We call it the Bay. And mm-hmm. uh we're we're exactly the same, right? They have sales so often. If there's not a sale on, if there's not a if you don't get the the Bay Day coupon for 40% off, you don't go. You just wait, right? And, yeah. and that's how we are trained, um, you know, and that's a slippery slope. I mean, once you're there and it's, it's the whole coupon code phenomenon I've watched as well. You know, whenever I go to a website now, I, you know, I'm not a particular cheap guy, but I like a deal. Right. And so, yeah. you know, I'll, if I'm on a website and I'm about to order and I see a field for a coupon code, I stop and I'll go out and I will search for coupon codes for that specific offer. Yep. And, uh, and if I found one, because as you probably know, there's websites out there that specialize in coupon codes. Boom, I'll take it and I'll get the discount, right? Um, so yeah, it's uh, and I, I like your philosophy there. I've never been a fan of that either. I think that's a, that's a very good Here's approach. what's even worse that can happen. There's a bunch of sites out there giving out false coupon codes and a customer will find it and get pissed off also. Oh yeah, great. Hey. Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, fan- yeah, fantastic, right? So they're angry at you for something you had nothing to do with. Exactly. Yeah, great. Love it. Um, all right. So now before we wrap up, um, Steve, where do our listeners connect with you? Where the, where can they find out more about what you're doing? I mean, the easiest way is to just head on over to mywifequitterjob.com. If you guys are interested in e-commerce, I do offer a free six-day mini course. And if you just go to the website, there's a big sign-up form right there. Uh, it's pretty good. It's like It's a bunch of videos that will just walk you through the process. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I will make sure I include the links to those in the show notes. And and Steve, thank you so much for uh, sharing all your e-commerce experience and wisdom with our listeners today. It was great to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Derek. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. All right, everyone. That was e-commerce expert Steve Chow. And as always, any links mentioned in the interview will be included in the show notes along with the entire transcript of the episode. And as always, you'll find it at entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. And uh, 
God, if you guys like what you heard here, make sure you head over to iTunes. Leave me a rating. Leave me a review. If you're an Android user, leave it on SoundCloud. And uh, now it's time to uh, take the e-commerce tips, tools, strategies that uh, Steve shared with you here today and apply that final essential ingredient to actually this making this stuff work for you. And that ingredient is action. So go forth, take action, even just take one thing and apply it, apply what you learned here and stay tuned for more info-packed episodes of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast. This is your host, Derek Gale, signing off. Thanks for listening to another info-packed episode of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast with Derek Gale. For links to all of the resources plus an entire transcript of this episode, go to entrepreneurignited.com slash podcast. Make sure you never miss another episode. Subscribe now on iTunes or SoundCloud.